chance to feel like heroes too Forever we'll win And if we should lose We know someday we'll go all the way Yeah, someday we'll go all Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. Our guest on this episode is John Becker, who is an all-around, uh, you know, guru for salaries and roster situations for major league teams. He can uh, find his work on Roster Resource, and he contributes to fan graphs, looking at salaries and stuff. And we talk about the Cubs offseason, which is starting to look like they might move Chris Bryant, which, as I get to in this interview, I am not a fan of. Uh, we also talk about the Cubs finally getting rid of Addison Russell. Hopefully that will be the last time I ever talk about it on the pod. And just a lot of stuff about the Cubs' um, opponents in the NL Central and just all-around look at baseball. And then we talk a little bit about how John became Twitter famous. Uh, you can follow him at John Becker underscore on Twitter. And without much further ado, here is John. John, welcome to Holy Cow, Cubs podcast. I'm glad to have you on. Thank you for having me. All right, so the offseason is in full swing now, and... Uh, I will ask you some questions about non-Cubs-related things in a little bit, but since we are talking about the Cubs on this podcast, I will start with that. And uh, The Cubs aren't spending much money. The only, I would say, major move they've made so far is uh, non-tendering Addison Russell, which is a great move from non-off-the-field and on-the-field reasons, but isn't a major move. But are you feeling any, what do you feel about the Cubs this offseason? Are they going to not spend any money, or do you think they will try to make some kind of moves? I think it's kind of predicated on if they trade Chris Bryant or and or Wilson Contreras and or somebody else, but those are the two big names. Um, right now, their payroll is about $195 million. Their luxury tax payroll is about $214 million. Um, I think they're going to do what they can to get under the luxury tax line of 208 million. Um, trading Bryant, who is due 16 million, would give them about um, 10 million to work with. Um, which, you know, obviously there's not much you can do there, but I think adding to the fringes of the roster, probably a contact oriented second baseman, whether it's bringing back Ben Zobrist if he decides to play or signing Eric Sogard is one possible move, and so is um, bolstering the back end of the rotation. So maybe a guy like um, Colin McHugh or Rick Porcello or um, Josh Lindblom coming back from Korea, um, somebody in that vein. I don't think they're going to break the bank with anybody, and I think that their biggest moves um, this offseason will be of the trade variety. So you you are in the belief that they will trade uh, Chris Bryant or Wilson Contreras this offseason? It seems like things are pointing in that direction, especially with Jeff Passan of ESPN reporting the other day that they're, I think he's the word manic was one of the words um, to trade somebody. Um, and it seems like Bryant is the most likely assuming that the Cubs win the grievance that he filed against them and that he's a free agent after 2021 and not 2020. Yeah, because obviously he's, under less control, he'll be a less appealing trade target for other teams. Right, and I think at that point, the Cubs might just decide to keep him and turn their focus to trading somebody else or making one last run 
with Chris Bryant and with everybody before um, Chris Bryant becomes a free agent after 2020. Yeah. Now, I guess, I don't know if I want to put in commentary or not, but it seems kind of silly that a big market team like the Cubs would be so concerned about the luxury tax threshold, but here we are. And, you know, it's got to be frust. I mean, as being a Cubs fan, it's a little frustrating that such a team with such a big revenue stream is so concerned over the luxury tax, but I guess that's where we are. Yeah, it is. It is difficult. And I think that their payroll is very high. And, you know, because it's very high that I think their criticism of not spending can only go so far because it's one of the three or five highest payrolls in the league. But at the same time, the way that ownership has gone about it, saying that they don't have the money to spend is kind of a joke. You know, if they just want to say, okay, we don't want to be over the luxury tax because that's how we've chosen to run this team and so be it. But um, the way they're choosing to spend it is that they don't have the money when, of course, they have the money. Yeah. So I will ask an interesting thing that I've thought about. You know, I, I like Wilson Contreras a lot, so I'm loath to trade him. But would something outside the box like, say, you know, trade Wilson Contreras package with part of Jason Hayward's salary, would that be a way to kind of ease the budget crunch for the Cubs that they're dealing with right now? Or is that too outside the box? I don't think it's too outside the box, but I think that attaching Hayward to a Contreras trade and then, you know, you'd still have to pay down some of the money. So basically you're paying for him to go away and then you're really hamstringing what you could get back for Wilson Contreras um, kind of defeats the purpose of trading one of their, their young core members. I think that if they manage to trade Jason Hayward, which is highly unlikely if impossible, um, it will be entirely as a kind of salary dump move, whether it's by attaching prospects who haven't established themselves in the majors yet or just by eating half the money and maybe and or taking a um, another bad contract back but I don't think that trading Contreras or Bryant or whoever along with Hayward really um, makes it worth trading either of them because it just kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth both about kind of having to just jettison Hayward and um, really limiting what you get back yeah and I I just want to be clear that I don't like. I like Hayward a lot, so I wouldn't want it. But if they're that this concerned about the budget, I'm just trying to think of because obviously Hayward's contract. Well, he's been valuable. He's not been worth the money that he's been paid. So it's one of those things. But yeah, you just hate being in the spot where you have to basically find ways to dump salary somehow, and it's very annoying. I guess is the word I'll use. Yeah, I think. Um... They've kind of hamstrung themselves by giving out the contracts that they gave. Um, but at the same time, none of them were viewed as particularly outrageous at the time. And, you know, sometimes they don't work out. But even the ones that do work out, um, you know, John Luster gave has given them everything that they could have asked for or more. But he's not going to be worth $20 million in 2020. And that's what he's going to be paid. The flip side is you Darvish seemed like a bust one year into his deal. And now I don't think they have any problem play, paying him $22 million in 2020 with what he showed in the second half. So, I mean, it's a very fluid situation with which big contracts are worth it and which aren't. But um, yeah, it's very clear that 
having a large percentage of their payroll tied up in just a few players um, really puts the onus on those few players to perform. Yeah, so you kind of mentioned the uh, second base situation, and I'll just, because I've talked about this on the podcast a lot, and I'm very glad I will not have to talk about this anymore. Uh, good riddance, Ant, um, Addison Russell. You suck. I hate you. I feel bad for whatever fan base is going to be stuck with you, and I don't know if you have anything else to add to it, but I'm very glad to not have to talk about him anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think the the time was it was it was long overdue to get rid of him. Um, I am kind of loath to speak too much about the topic just because we don't know all the details. We'll never know all the details, but it's clear that the personal accountability, um, at least in public, was not there. And, you know, even from a baseball standpoint, a baseball-only standpoint, he was absolutely not meeting expectations. The Some of the decisions he were making, was making on the field was just, you know, completely boneheaded. And um, I think having him off the team is a really good way to just kind of solidify the quote-unquote kind of Cubs way of playing baseball, of, of just really clean baseball that we've gotten used to seeing with Javier Baez as base running, Anthony Rizzo handling first base, Chris Bryant's base running, things like that. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm very glad to not have to talk about him ever again, so hopefully I will not have to. Um, so I'll move on to, I just wrote an article for um, Cubs Insider about um, Ian Happ, and he had some, you know, down the stretch when he came back from AAA, he had some very nice numbers. His um, you know, OPS was up to 898, and he, he was making more contact with pitches in the zone. His strikeout rate was down. But with Ian Happ, of course, this was a small sample size, and he's been known as a very streaky hitter. But you look at the couple of months he put in at the end of the year, and if you could carry that over into 2020, it would be a huge boost to the Cubs. But should I feel confident about Ian Happ, or should I be wary as – I this think with, with a player like him who is a switch hitter who is going to strike out his fair share from both sides of the plate, there's always going to be a greater potential of slumping than there is with someone who only is hit from one side of the plate and doesn't strike out as much. Um, but I do think absolutely there's reasons for optimism. Um, like you said, that OPS towards the end of the season was really good. He was very quietly right up there with, or, or pretty close to, I should say, with, with Schwarber and Castellanos as one of their best offensive performers the, the last six weeks or so of the season. Um, I think that the advantage with him is that they don't necessarily have to put all of their eggs in the Ian Hat basket. Um, if he's slumping, they can give Elmore a little bit more playing time. They can work Robel Garcia, and they can work Tony Kemp in. Um, Nico Horner, whether he's on the opening day roster or not, will get a lot of at-bats, I'm sure. So there's definitely plenty of fallback plans. And, um, you know, even as disappointing as the last couple teams, uh, Cubs teams have been, 2018-2019, um, they've always been able to replace guys as needed with, with pretty competent players whenever they slump. And there are going to be times when Hap slumps. And um, to a certain extent, he's going to need to play through it, but... but you know, especially in games where they're facing high strikeout pitchers, if he's in the middle of the slump, they can always just put him on the bench for a game or two and, and play matchups, which um, Joe Madden was always pretty good about 
um, putting his guys in positions to succeed. And I have no reason to believe that that won't continue under David Ross. Yeah. So obviously there's a little bit of a, I don't want to say a little hullabaloo, but you you have um, Elmora who had, you know, by all accounts, one of the worst offensive seasons in baseball last year, but he's staying on the roster. You, do you have a problem with that? Are you okay with him being the last man on the roster? I don't have a problem. I think that ultimately his value comes down to how he's used. Um, He really tanked against left-handed pitching after being a pretty good hitter against lefties, um, more so than righties in 2018, whereas he very much had reverse splits in 2019. Um, I think that spring training would be a good time to evaluate if that was just a fluke or um, if he definitely has real issues against left-handed pitching. I think regardless, though, when he does play, he should be hitting 7th or 8th or ninth, and should always be in positions where he can succeed. I think that there were too many times last season, um, this past season, 2019, when he was hitting leadoff, um, too many times when he was facing pitchers that could just keep throwing sliders away that he would chase. Um, I think ultimately it's about setting him up to succeed. If the if the way he can succeed most is by rarely starting and just playing in the last couple of innings in center field when they have the lead, then so be it. I think they've they've got to focus on winning games the way that they can more so than trying to get certain players going or you know believing in Albert Almora when the stats don't really back it up. Yeah. So now to an outfielder who. I feel pretty good about moving forward, but, I mean, we've been, you know, Kyle Schwarber had, was just unbelievable the second half of this year, just had huge numbers, but he has gone into major slumps at points in his career, but do you feel like he really could be a big-time, like, middle-of-the-lineup hitter for the Cubs going into 2020? Yeah, I mean, the way he turned a corner really was just, Ridiculous. I mean, last two months of the season, 14 home runs, 38 RBIs, 1043 OPS, hit 304. He was hitting the ball hard all over the place. Um, but at the same time, he wasn't trying to do too much. The strikeout rate was down to, to under one strikeout a game, which is manageable. The walk rate was, was very good. So I, I think that the legitimate changes clearly showed and it wasn't fluky it was legitimately just really really good hitting and a really really good approach and I'm not expecting him to be a 304 hitter but I think that the 40 plus home run power that he showed over those past couple months that that we've seen so often but not not for that long I don't think he's out he's he's never even come close to a two month stretch that good um could really propel him into a really strong 2020 season yeah, so now I'll ask you a couple of quick pitching questions. You feel good about you, Darvish, being number one if you can keep up what he did at the end of last year, right? Absolutely. All right, and then the other question, though, is I've kind of been kicking around this theory, but I'm afraid this, you know, because we've been burned before in the past, but is it crazy to have Tyler Chatwood be the fifth starter going into this season? I don't think so. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hand him a starting spot by any means. I think that 
the fifth starter spot is going to be either him or Alec Mills. I think that Colin Ray could have something of a say in that competition, um, as could Albert Azalai, as could Jarrell Cotton, but um, my money would be on Mills or Chadwood. I think it's almost as much about who they think will impact the bullpen it it might be even more about that than it is about who they think will be better as the fifth starter. I think that what we saw from chat round, the bullpen was, was really great. Um, But what we saw out of the rotation and when he did get those few spot starts really benefited from his time, the bullpen and just going after guys and not worrying about nibbling and, and not worrying about necessarily how many innings he would throw so much as just trying to be effective for as long as he could last. Um, whether that was 60 pitches or 80 pitches. Um, so, no, I don't think that's crazy at all. I think that Mills similarly would be good out of the bullpen in the multi-inning role that Chatwood was in. I think that the picture will become clearer if slash when they add more bullpen help this offseason. I think as they do, they might start leaning towards being more comfortable with putting Chatwood back in the rotation. Right. So now I'll move to a couple uh, around the league questions. Um, you've got, you know, you know there's all the collusion talk that we've had the past couple of years, and it was really getting worried, worrying, but this year it seems like people are getting more money than was expected. You know, it's early in the in the off season, but that's got to be a promising sign, right? Yeah, I don't think it, uh, it does not completely shut down the collusion talks by any means, but it has been a far more active free agency um, so far. We've already seen, uh, let's check, 27 free agents signed, 50 years committed, over $500 million committed. Um, not a single contract that has been signed has been the least bit disappointing to me. And I think that that's always going to be the case earlier in the offseason. I think that any deal typically signed before the winter meetings is going to be a good one because obviously – it had to have been an acceptable offer to accept that early in the offseason. Um, but just the sheer volume of really good deals being signed, whether it's Mike Moustakis getting $64 million, Grandal getting $73 million, Drew Pomeranz getting four years and $34 million, um, I think there's a lot of optimism around the league. Um, what remains to be seen is if the the quote-unquote middle class of free agents, the, the older guys like Edwin Encarnacion and Gio Gonzalez and Robinson Chirinos and Joe Smith, guys like that, whether they'll kind of be left out in the dust or if they'll also get good contracts. And, and that remains to be seen. And I think that the upcoming winter meetings this week will help to clarify a lot of that. Yeah. So um, within the Cubs division, um, you know, the Cubs have been trying to save money, but it really seems like the Milwaukee Brewers are on – a mission to cut budgets too. So do you think that will weaken them or do you think they'll still be right in the middle of the mix again? Yeah, I think they could bring their budget back to what it was, which was $135 million or so, and still probably be worse than they were because you cannot replace Yasmani Grandal as your catcher when JT Real Muto is not available and Mike Moustakis was also really good. Um, they've got about $50 million to go before hitting their 2019 payroll. But by all accounts, um, their, um, 
their payroll last season, 2019, was about as high as they could go. So it's possible that they trim it by 10, 20, 30, however many million, in which case, yeah, they're going to be worse. They're not, regardless, they're not in the Garrett Cole, Madison Bumgarner, probably not even Hyunjin Ryu market for pitchers. And currently their infield is Orlando Arcia and uh, Luis Arias, who has not hit much at the major league level yet. And uh, Keston Hira, who's very a very good hitter, but doesn't play a strong defense. And then I don't even know who their first who they plan on playing at first base right now. So they've got a lot of work to do. And clearly they they're not done. They haven't signed a single free agent yet, and they're going to spend money at some point. But I think it is almost guaranteed that they're going to take a step back. Well, you know, in the past they've kind of they've leaned on the bullpen so hard, but like you look at their rotation as of now, which obviously. I would assume they'd sign a couple starters, but their projected rotation right now is pretty not good. Yeah, and the bullpen is kind of right along with that as being not good. They, uh, Matt Albers is a free agent. Jeremy Jeffress they released towards the end of the season. Drew Pomerantz is gone already. Um, they non-tendered Alex Claudio, who led the majors in appearances. They non-tendered Junior Guerra, who gave them 80-plus innings out of the bullpen. So... They've got a lot of innings to replace up and down the pitching staff that right now, outside of Brandon Woodruff and Josh Hader, I'm not really sure who I trust to give innings to. Yeah, if they don't trade uh, Hader. Yeah, um, I doubt that they will, but um, willing to listen on anyone can very quickly devolve into trading someone if someone knocks on your door with an offer. So then the other of the Cardinals this offseason are obviously in better financial situation than the Brewers, I would assume. But what do you see them doing this offseason? Um, I, I don't I don't know, because they're not really in a great financial situation. Their budgets about 10 million below 2019s, which was about. Um, $175 million and about as high as they're comfortable going. So they're kind of in a similar spot of the Brewers of not having... The Brewers have more in theory, but we don't know how much closer to their 2019 payroll they're willing to go, whereas the Cardinals just don't have much room, period. Um, right now, assuming Carlos Martinez is back in the rotation, Giovanni Gallegos is their closer, Andrew Miller is their top setup man. Um Gallegos was very good most of the season. Andrew Miller was really inconsistent. A lot of other guys in that bullpen were inconsistent. I think that um, it would behoove them to add a closer. Um, The issue there is that there aren't any out on the free agent market, really, unless they really like Daniel Hudson or Will Harris. Um, So we might see them make some trades. They've got a lot of upper-level prospects. They might even try to trade. Um, Martinez, if a team is interested as a, in, in him as a sort of reclamation project. Um, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to touch their offense much, which is unfortunate for them. They have just about every starting spot except for left field pretty well decided. Um, but a lot of those decided jobs are to guys who really underperformed like Fowler and, and Carpenter and Molina, but they're just not going to replace them at those spots because they're making too much money. So, you know, it sounds like, you know, between the Cubs, Brewers, and Cardinals, the Central Division might be a little bit weaker this this upcoming season. 
Yeah, I think that the Reds will bridge a lot of the the gap between the top three teams in the division. I think that the Cardinals won 91 games kind of with smoke and mirrors and returning basically the same roster will probably not produce 91 wins again. It's clear that the Brewers are worse on paper. Um, it's clear that the Cubs are roughly the same at best, if not a little worse on paper, and probably are going to make some more moves to, to worsen their roster, most likely. Um, so I think that it's going to be really interesting to watch because right now I'm not sure there's a 90-win team in the division, um, which kind of helps to explain why the Reds are being really aggressive so far. They, of course, have signed Moustakis. They were aggressive on Wheeler. They might be aggressive on Bumgarner. So um, it'll be really fascinating to see where it ends up. And I assume the Pirates are just going to slash and burn. Yeah, I, I think that they are probably willing to trade everyone except for Brian Reynolds. Um, yeah, I'd say he's probably their only true untouchable. I, I'd be surprised if they traded Josh Bell only because he wasn't great in the second half and he's a bat only first baseman, so they'd kind of be selling low anyway. Um, but I'd be very surprised if Starling Marte is there on opening day. I think that they would entertain offers for Chris Archer. They'd entertain offers for... Joe Musgrove, Kyle Crick, Keone Kayla, so on. I think that I don't think they're going to quite strip it down to the studs, but there's definitely going to be a lot of teams making calls. Yeah, so actually, if you think about it, the Cubs might be worse, but they might have as equal chance to make the playoffs as they did last year. So, yeah, um, it's going to be a, a real dogfight, and I think what they do have going for them is that the wild card situation might be a little bit less crazy i think that um the phillies are probably looking to get better but the brewers look considerably worse and they were of course a wild card team the nationals right now still have a lot of work to do to get back to where they were in 2019 um the diamondbacks are always kind of hanging in there but um it, it might be a little bit of a clearer playoff picture i think that the cubs just you know if they can do a better job of winning run one ga- one run games, holding late leads, things like that. You know, there could just be four or five more wins in there just based on luck alone. Mm-hmm. And 88 wins would probably win the division this year. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's not going to be a surprise if someone wins 90 plus because weird things happen. But mm-hmm. right now, it's kind of hard to foresee that, especially with four teams really making a run at the division while all beating up on the Pirates. It really might be whoever wins the most games against the Pirates wins the division. Yep. So I'll ask you one non-baseball question. Since uh, you became sort of Twitter famous, (laughs) I will say, uh, obviously some people don't go on Twitter that listen to this, but uh, there's a thing you can do where you put something on Twitter and you ask people to respond in answer, so you'd say, well, in this case, you said, what is your worst food take? So everyone's going to retweet it and say what their worst food take is. And you got some, inc- like, it spread all over Twitter and some very well-known people started yes. giving their food takes. So I thought I'd let you describe to everyone this kind of bizarre situation that developed. Um, it was really bizarre. I was just sitting, um, one of my class got, got out early and I was waiting for my next class to start. And I just tweeted out 
for people to give me controversial food opinions because I was bored and thought I'd get a couple dozen at most to read through. Um, and then it just kept going. And then it kept going once ESPN people got a hold of it and, and Katie Nolan quote tweeted it. And then it kept going when Chris Pratt quote tweeted it. And it kept going when the governor of California quote tweeted it. And it was just a ridiculous week or so on Twitter. And I think that the appeal of it was that if I was asking for baseball opinions, no one's going to care about that besides baseball fans. There's only so many baseball fans, but everyone likes food. Everyone has a strange food opinion that they're willing to give. So I think it just kind of transcended the typical Twitter boundaries and just absolutely blew up. I think that um, it got around 3.7 million views and like 500,000 interactions um, and it was just really amazing to just see everyone kind of having fun talking about it. And obviously nobody was taking anything personally for the most part. So it was just a really fun experience. So what would you say was the one that you were most shocked by for someone to respond to it? Um, oh man, I got so many that that's there. There was someone who said that. I don't remember who it was. It was some like verified lot of followers person that all rice is bad, which is the most surprising one ever because rice is just such an inoffensive food that I didn't know anyone could dislike. Yes. And I didn't know, you know, and I don't know, and I'll never know if that person just had never had good rice or if they just don't like rice. And I've thought about that one a lot because it's not like, you know, I saw a lot of, oh, bacon's overrated, avocado's overrated. Now, that's a relatively uncontroversial, controversial opinion. But, mm-hmm. man, I did not think that anyone could possibly dislike rice. Now, what was your favorite celebrity or well-known person that, that answered the it? The biggest one was Chris Pratt. And I don't remember what exactly he tweeted, but it was something like, it was something weird and philosophical. Um, but... Uh, I'm trying. There were some celebrities who had really funny ones. I mean, there were comedians who who weighed in. It was just uh, Patton Oswalt weighed in, and I'm trying to remember what he said because it was funny. Um, see if I can find it. It was something that I know I disagreed with. Um, yeah, he, it was that he said artichokes fall from space and are actually a sentient flesh spore made from traumatic memories of a forgotten galactic genocide, um, which was just an amazing. <laughs> work of words that it was just so funny to read and I've listened to so much of Pat Oswalt's comedy and I respect him so greatly that it was just awesome to just see my face right there below his poetry about asparagus or uh, artichokes yeah that was pretty good and it might be true you never know yeah all right well I now we'll we'll just have you um let everyone know where you can they can find your work on the internet. Sure. So I am on Twitter at John Becker underscore. Um, I help to maintain the payroll pages at Roster Resource, which can now be found on both rosterresource.com and Fangraphs. Um, feel free to send me a DM if you have any questions or just want to say hi. My DMs are open. And uh, yeah, thanks to Sean for having me. This was this was really fun and. I'm really curious to see what the Cubs end up doing this offseason. Yes, as as am I. So uh, thank you for coming on, John.
Thanks for having me. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app. You can find it on uh, Stitcher and Spotify and anywhere else that you get podcasts. Um, you can email the podcast at holycowpod at gmail. You can also hit me up on Twitter I'm at sth85. And we will have more episodes coming up. And the Cubs do make any big moves if they do trade Chris Bryant, which, again, I don't think they should. I will be back with a podcast to talk about it. And until then, thank you, as always, for listening.